Oh my God, I'm chilling. What happened? Oh my God. Oh, I just can't. What? Oh my God, I'm nervous. I'm, I like have the butterflies of our very first episode. Oh my God, you do? Yeah, kinda. Today's the day, people. Okay, y'all, we have been talking about this episode for several weeks, months, perhaps. This, without further ado, this is going to be the first part of our Natalie Holloway episode. We think it's going to be four parts. Yeah, we think it's going to be four parts. We have spoken to her brother who gave us his blessing. Uh, we've spoken to a couple of her friends. Mm -hmm. And we're nervous. Yeah. I mean, I think you'll learn a lot in these four parts. Um, we did get a lot of AMA questions when we posted an AMA. We got a lot of questions. That's an ask me anything. That's an ask me anything. We got a lot of listener questions, mainly about like who she was as a person, like her personality, all that, which we'll address. We address a lot of them in the story. But at the end of our four parts, we'll we'll reiterate them. We'll spitfire the question, answer, question, answer, what we mostly got. Um, yeah, a lot of them will be answered throughout, though. But, mm -hmm. you know, we'll just recap it at the very end. And thanks for everyone who submitted them. Yeah, thanks. Um, a lot of them being, yeah, memories of her. Uh, and one thing I did learn, <laughs> which is, this is so cute. <laughs> when her and Matt, her younger brother's Matt, when they were younger, they're in elementary school, and Beth, that's Natalie's mom, and Dave, her dad, had just gotten divorced, and Beth had a date, and they walked out, her and her date walked out of the house, and Matt and Natalie were pounding the date's car with Matt's metal baseball cleats. Oh, <laughs> oh my God, with cleats? <laughs> yes. I thought it was rocks. No, I know. I thought it was rocks, too, but then I, once I relearned it, I was like, oh my God, it was baseball cleats that oh is my god hilarious that was and probably I, their one and only date it was he it was the first and last date he never came back oh that my god hilarious they don't want anyone going out with their mom cute mm -hmm. they saw a problem and they solved it i love people who see a problem and solve it yep so before Rebecca starts her part, uh, just a little recap. We went to high school with Natalie. We were in the grade below her. Not, you know, good friends or anything, but acquaintance, you know. So we did not go to Aruba. We were not in Aruba. Again, we were in the grade below. That was a senior trip. And while we were always interested in true crime, back being so close to a case like this and like knowing people, everyone involved, kind of gave us a new perspective on it. And it like real, especially the investigation piece is that's where it heightened my interest in that. Like when I'm like, it's just so interesting and crazy to see the ins and outs of everything. And so again, without further ado. All right. Sources are, um, I reread Beth Twitty's book, Beth Holloway's book. That's Natalie's mom. It's called loving Natalie. It's very informative. If you want to give it a read, I reread or I read some interviews with her friends that they did from various publications. We talked to a few people, um, our own brains. Mm -hmm. And that's that. Yeah. When I do my part, I'll have more sources as well. Just so you know. I guess we'll give a little background first on Natalie, like a little bit about her, which a lot of people ask. 
She yeah. moved to Birmingham in eighth grade from Clinton, Mississippi, and everyone called her Hootie because she told people that her friends at her old school called her Hootie Who Holloway, which all her friends later found out was a lie that she made up because everyone else had nicknames around here. And she wanted to fit in, which is such a seventh, I mean, an eighth grade mentality. Like at 13 years old, that makes sense to me. Yeah. And pre-social yeah. media. No one can check it out. You can be whoever you want when you move. That rocks. <laughs> yeah. That's such a good idea. So it's That's stuck. cute. Everyone called her Hootie. And one of her good friends, Claire, said there was no beating around the bush with that girl. If she had an opinion, she would tell you. Uh, once I asked her, this, these are Claire's words. Once I asked her to get me a soft drink and she looked at me like I'd asked her to run a mile. Like, are you kidding? No, get it yourself. <laughs> but she was all, never a rule breaker. When she turned, she turned 16, Natalie turned 16 before Claire did. And she would always beg Natalie to let her drive her car, which was a cute little white Volvo. And finally, Natalie said, fine, you can move it one spot over in the parking lot. <laughs> so That's, opposite of us. God. Oh, my God. We let anyone drive our car. Yeah, I didn't give a shit. Fine. Yeah. But I your, do you have your memory? Because that was one. That's other people's memories. I have a specific memory. Do you? Oh, oh my God. Um, I had Jim with her in eighth grade. <laughs> Great. And I don't know. I remember being very outgoing for a new girl, like for being new. Like we would always, like the girls in that gym class would like always, you know, huddle around and gossip and pretend we were on our period so we didn't have to do anything. And, um, sure. I don't know. I remember she got asked out by a guy in their grade and she told him maybe while she thought about it. And then the next day she said, I figured what the hell you only live once. And it was really, I was like, you're so cute. And I just thought she was like so sweet and fun. Um, another memory, I guess in high school, we had a party. Yeah. Were you, were you going to say this one? No, but this is one of them. In high school, our parents went out of town. So what do you do? Obviously you have a party. Sure. And this actually lends itself to like how, you know, we knew each other. We we're not great friends and we were waiting for all of our friends to come over. But somehow she got dropped off first. Yeah. And for a minute, it was just us and Natalie. And I remember it being like kind of awkward because we well, just no, because I just got out of the shower and she was sitting in our kitchen and it scared the hell out of me. I was like, oh, how? Like, why, how did she end up there by herself without? Um, because Fran dropped her off and then went to go get solo cups. I remember that. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I don't know why that sticks out to me. There was nothing, you know, memorable about that. I don't remember what we talked about, but yeah, it was just yeah. like, a, oh, shit. No, mine was when I was a sophomore, I was kind of dating a senior unofficially. We'd like make out sometimes. Who? Brandon. Oh, hell yeah. And he was, quote, two timing me with Natalie's very best friend, who was his actual girlfriend. So really, he was two timing her. <gasps> and they he were, like, was dating yeah well I think, they, I think they just broke up but they're like, still kind of talking and then we were also talking and then he was talking to one of our other friends so it was three <laughs> of us and so in the student section the three of us after we figured it out we were trying to decide how to confront him about it and natalie had a genius idea that fran her friend should suggest that they go to dinner with him that night and me and casey would show up with her <laughs> like really make him shit his pants I so do he remember he's going, that. yeah he thinks he's going on a date and then the three of us show up but that didn't happen no he like caught one of it and canceled the date no mm -hmm. that was natalie's idea yeah we I were on to you that. brandon 
you thought you were getting away with something. Uh-huh. It was a, such a good idea. That is a good idea. Mm-hmm. I wish y'all did it. Same. That's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> you should be sad because now he's like a producer on like Shit's Creek. I'm like, what are you doing? I'm like, wait. It was like at the Emmy. I was like, I wait, know. what does Brandon like, do? Wait a minute. How did that happen? He's like CEO of some production. Co- I don't know what the fuck. He's killing it. God. Missed opportunity for you. <laughs> and Casey and Francis Ellen. <laughs> Missed opportunity for him. Excuse me. Mm-hmm. All right, so should I just jump into it? I guess so. Mountain Brook is a suburb of Birmingham, Alabama. We all went to Mountain Brook High School, so you're gonna refer you're gonna hear us refer to it as Mountain Brook probably throughout the story. Senior trips at Mountain Brook were typically split. You could choose to go to Jamaica or Aruba, but the class of 2005, Natalie's class, was the first year that everyone went to Aruba. It was 124 students and seven chaperones, a few teachers, a few parents. And I guess to be to clarify, this wasn't a Mountain Brook sponsored trip. Yeah, the school had nothing to do with this trip. It was not like an official school trip. It was just all the students planned it and all the students went on vacation together. That was the senior trip. It was not like school sponsored by any means. Just FYI. Yeah. We were juniors in high school and all of our friends in the grade above us were very excited about Aruba, like annoyingly so. They yeah. had Aruba shirts made. They would wear lays on Fridays, call it Aruba Day. They were amped. The night before they left on their trip, we actually went to a place called The Pines. It was a place in the woods where high schoolers would go and drink around a fire. It was a smaller group that night because all the seniors were leaving for Aruba the next morning. But Natalie was there. And if I recall, none of them were drinking. Let's just put that out there. Not There are a few misconceptions. She's such a partier, which I'm like, how can a high schooler who has a curfew and is on the dance team be that much of a partier? Let's be honest. Right. But I remember that she said that her brother, Matt, was going to be a junior the following year and that we needed to look after him while she was in college. And I was like, sure, duh, because I was drinking that night. So I was probably like, you can count on me, sister. (laughs) I have no recollection of that. Yeah. Well, sorry. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That happened. I was like, I'm four more lights deep. Hand me another. Yeah. And that was the very last conversation we had. She was going to the University of Alabama on a full scholarship and she was going to be pre-med and she was going to room with one of her friends, Liz, and was planning to rush a sorority, which she was so excited about that she bought all of her dresses months in advance to prepare. They went to Aruba and apparently had a great time snorkeling during the day, dinners and bars at night. The drinking age is 18, so being typical teenagers, nothing really notable, nothing really surprising up until the last night. A guy named Euron had been playing poker with them, with the Mountain Brook guys all week. On the last night, apparently Natalie tried blackjack, lost some money, and Euron helped her win it back. As a thank you, all the girls invited him to Carlos and Charlie's, and we'll get into details about when they left together. But the next morning, all the students were supposed to meet in the lobby before going to the airport. And Natalie roomed with three girls who obviously noticed she wasn't in the room, but they just assumed that she slept in someone else's room. And even when she didn't show up at the lobby to meet everyone, it was like, oh shit, Natalie's going to miss her flight. And it's the exact same thought we had when we first heard about it that night, which I think we've already kind of recapped that we were, I don't think we have in a previous episode. I think we did, but we were pre-gaming at our house, ready to go to our other friend's house whose parents were out of town. I remember Allison walked in and was like, Natalie missed her flight. 
I'm like, and she goes, hey. <laughs> well, she said, did y'all hear about Natalie? And we're like, uh-huh. I, so there's two Natalie's in that class. And for some reason, I just, my brain went to the other one. Me too. I was yeah. like, what about her? And she's like, she missed her. She didn't come home from Aruba. And I was, we we're like, what? What do you mean? And she yeah. was like, they don't, she missed her flight. And they don't know where she is. It was like, oh God. And then but our mom, it, yeah, no, we didn't think anything of it. Even one of Natalie's good friends, Nancy came in, whose mom like flew to Aruba immediately came in and was like, I think she just missed her flight, but my mom's like freaking out. And then our mom came in and was like, freaking out about what? Like, a girl, Natalie missed her flight home from Aruba. And she was like, no, 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 that's, you don't miss your flight when you're with 124 other people. Something's happened. And a foreign like, country. So dramatic. Yeah. I don't and remember. Then we, I remember going to Aaron's house, like when we we're like, all right, well, let's go out for the night. And everyone at Aaron's house was like, are y'all's parents freaking out? It's like every parent had mother's intuition that day. Yeah. And Natalie's mom, Beth, was certainly no exception. Oh, my God. That morning, Beth Holloway was driving home from a girls weekend in Arkansas when she got the call from the travel agent, Jody, who was one of the chaperones on the trip, telling her that Natalie didn't meet in the lobby of the hotel that morning to go to the airport. And her three, three roommates said that she never came home last night. Without hesitation, Beth knew something terrible had happened, immediately jumping into action. She turned from relaxed and laughing with her girlfriends, recapping the weekend, to hyper-focused. She asked her friend who was driving if she could drive the rest of the way, and she started going 120 miles per hour through Mississippi. I am not exaggerating. 120 miles per hour in the left lane, flashers on. Oh, God. She calls 911 to tell them that her daughter's missing in Aruba and needs a state trooper to escort them. Dispatch is asking where she is, and she's firing off mile markers as she's flying past them but tells the operator she's not slowing down for anyone, so relay the message not to pull her over Pull her over because she has no plans of abiding. I know. This Thanks is kind like, of emotional. Me too. <laughs> Sad. She's, I cannot imagine. She then calls her husband, Natalie's stepdad, Jug Twitty, that's J-U-G, on the way and tells him to figure out transportation to Aruba for that day. Meanwhile, she and her friends are calling other people to try to find a private plane because no commercial flight was going that day. Matt, Natalie's younger brother, calls Beth and tells him, this seems like it's a really bad. We may need to call FBI. He, too, knew if Natalie missed her flight, something was really wrong. Beth agrees and calls the Birmingham Bureau and then calls the U.S. Embassy in D.C. She's getting help for her daughter by any means possible. And at one point, she had the phone to her ear, used one hand to write down numbers as Matt was giving them, and the other hand on the steering wheel, all while still going 120. If you're emotional now, this is going to be a. I know we're only what two pages in. I'm crying barely. I can't imagine. The last call she makes is to Natalie's cell phone, knowing it would never go through because Natalie didn't have international calling, but she just felt she just wanted to. And she said, Natalie, hang in there. Help is on the way. Please call me. I love you. No. Yeah. And I'm telling things right. I bet, yeah, it's been 18 years since you've heard or read this book, probably. I mean, yeah, even doing my part of this, I was like, if I knew that back then, I do not remember it. And yeah, it was a just lot like, of these details did not come out until years later, until actually this book probably came out. Yeah. So she leaves Natalie that message, and this is when she flies by a state trooper who immediately flips on his lights and pursues her. She backs off to 110 to allow him to catch up, but has no intentions of pulling over 
until she realizes how quickly she has burned through gas and she's on empty. Oh, God. So she does end up pulling over after several minutes of being chased and gets out and immediately walks to the cop behind her. As you can imagine, he is not she, happy. She got out of the car. Yeah. He That's tells her like, to stop and stay right there. I know. I would think I'm about to get shot. Oh, God. He tells her to stop and stay right there. Then her two friends jump out of the car yelling, her daughter's been kidnapped. Oh, God. Kidnapping is the only rational thing they can think of in that moment. And he again tells them to stop walking towards the car. Eventually, he does let Beth sit in the back. She's not arrested, don't worry. And she explains very calmly what's happening. And she's been trying to get a hold of the FBI in Birmingham, but apparently no one's working because it's Memorial Day. And he said that should never happen and hands her a piece of paper with the phone number to Washington, D.C.'s FBI agency. And he tells her very firmly she's got to slow down. She agrees and goes 85 the rest of the way home. As a side note, later on when Beth starts doing tours of high schools around the country, that cop came to the one he, she did at Mountain Brook. She did? I think that's, I remember being in Mountain Brook in the auditorium and listening to her. And when the cop came in with the uniform, someone told us, like, that's the cop that pulled her over. So I think he did, which is so oh, sweet. That is so nice. I cannot true. convey what a badass Beth is in a high stress situation. The rest of the drive, Beth is on the phone with several of Natalie's friends recapping the night. Natalie has two twin cousins, Hunter and Thomas, who are also on the trip. And they tell Beth she was hanging out with a guy who had been play playing poker with them all week. And his name was, I think they said Juron. Or Juron. Thomas mm -hmm. even tells Beth that he wouldn't do anything or hurt her, saying that he seems like a regular guy, even saying, like, he's like me. And he tells her that Euron was from the Netherlands and vacationing in Aruba and also staying at the Holiday Inn, which obviously we come to find out is the first oh, of many lies that Euron tells. Yeah. By the time she arrives in Birmingham, a private plane has been arranged and waiting on her. And by 5 p.m., she's on said plane with her husband and Natalie's stepdad, Jug, Jody, the chaperone who was flying back down with her, and two of Natalie's friends' dads, Matt and Ruffner. Ruffner owns the plane, and they left one seat open for Natalie. Oh, my God. One of the other chaperones, a coach, stayed in Aruba to wait for Natalie at the hotel should she walk in, and he's having trouble finding police or getting beach patrol. They keep telling her to just wait for her and she'll come back. Like, no wonder so, Aruba's crime rate is so low. They don't report anything. Right. Sorry. Was that Plum? Yeah. Oh, RIP. May rest. I know. He died from COVID, right? No, he died during COVID of, um, he like had a brain aneurysm or something. Oh, shit. But by the time Beth and group has landed, he's found a DEA agent who can help him. He did? Yeah. I don't know how. Ruffner, again, the owner of the plane, has arranged for handlers to meet them once they land, which is apparently common practice when private planes land in Aruba. It might be common everywhere. I don't know. Never been in a private plane. There, I said it. <laughs> how embarrassing i'm just kidding <laughs> same their names are alberto and claudia they help with customs transportation and overall just help the group around the island they were very helpful they're also badasses really they speak english and the island language of papiamento which is a combination of portuguese spanish and dutch and just a little lesson, Aruba is Netherlands territory, but it's an autonomous state. So they call all the shots concerning matters on the island. 
The group gets to the Holiday Inn and see the coach and the DEA agent and immediately walk up to the front desk and ask about a guy staying at the hotel named Euron. The hotel manager knows him by name and tells Beth he likes to gamble here and prey on young Taurus, but he's not a guest. He lives in Aruba. Literally oh said, preys on Taurus. Right. They're very blasé about this throughout Beth's journey down there, which you'll come to find out. It's just very, all very weird. Beth's heart sinks knowing that he lied to the Mountain Brook group that he was staying at the hotel and they pull security footage of the blackjack table. They're on the phone with Thomas and he's able to describe where you're on a sitting and exactly what he's wearing. And sure enough, there he is sitting next to Natalie. Meanwhile, the handlers, Alberto and Claudia, walk around the island to ask if they know where they can find Euron and $100 paid to some beach bums not only get them Euron's last name, but also his address. Euron Vandersloot is originally from Arnhem in the Netherlands. It's like an hour-ish, give or take, from Amsterdam. And he is the son of a very prominent lawyer turned judge in training, Paulus Vandersloot. And Anita Vandersloot, his mother, is an art teacher. In 1990, the Vandersloots moved from Arnhem to Aruba, where Euron was an honor student at the International School of Aruba. He was apparently a star soccer and tennis player and kind of had all the promise in the world if he wasn't a big fat murderer. <laughs> yeah, really. Now they know exactly who they're looking for. But in order to do this the right way, Beth and the group go to the police station first so they can be escorted by an officer. <sighs> what a useless... If only they knew what they know now. <laughs> For a real. useless practice. When they pull up to the Vandersloots, Beth stays in the car with Natalie's friends on the phone who have all landed in Birmingham at this point and gathered at one of their friends' house so they can talk to Beth at once and feed her information when she needs it. They said that Natalie got in the car with Euron and two other guys as a gray, silver, or gray or silver Honda and she yelled out the window that she was going back to the Holiday Inn and then yells, Aruba! Hey! Oh, my God. I know. So, Jug, the DEA agent, and the Reuben police are in the front yard. Yeah. Where's this DEA agent coming from? Like, he was just there, like, vacationing and, like, now knows. It's like, well, I know what to do. I'll help. No, I think someone at the front desk finally had someone to help. I do not know why a DEA agent was there. Okay. I don't know. He's just there to help, though. That's so there to help. Yeah. So, Jug, the DEA agent, and the Reuben police are in the front yard of the Vandersloot's home and Matt and again Matt is the father of one of Natalie's best friends she also has Natalie also has a brother named Matt so that's going to get confusing but just know if I'm referring to a Matt in Aruba it's an adult it's Natalie's friend's dad so Matt and Ruffner go around back and wait by the back door in case Euron tries to leave but instead his father Paulus comes out and says that Euron and his friend Deepak had just gone to the Wyndham to gamble Paula says he'll go with them to find Euron and Deepak, and Beth is all gets in the car and is like, beat Paulus's car there. She wants to find Euron first. Yeah. So it's kind of like a race to the Wyndham. But, but at when this they, point, oh, sorry. sorry. At no. this point, does she even know what he looks like other than the surveillance? No. So, okay. He's a tall motherfucker. Yeah, she's she just looking for tall, dark hair. Yeah. Done. Okay. But when they get there, Euron calls Paulus and says, now they're back at the house. So now they go back to the house and the DEA agent says, suggests that women stay in the car. When Euron walks out to meet them in the driveway, Beth sees the silver Honda, which Natalie's friend says that's the car she got into. And that ends up being Deepak's car. 
She said when she saw your arm for the first time, she thought to herself, you're it. Having no clue what shit he would put her through for the next 18 years. Yaron says they met at the blackjack table and went to Carlos and Charlie's where he did a jello shot off her stomach and bought her a shot of 151, reiterating over and over how wasted she was. And Natalie's small. She's like 100 pounds. So a shot of 151 on top of drinking, I mean, I bet it sent her over the edge. Yeah. Once the bar closed, she got in the car with them, him, Deepak, and Satish Kalpo, two brothers from Suriname, and yelled out the window, Aruba, just like her friend said she did. Mm -hmm. And he said that her friends yelled at her to get get out of the car, but she said she wanted to go see sharks at the lighthouse. He says she's really drunk, keeps passing out, waking up, passing out, waking up. And then he stops his story and asks if anyone's related to Natalie. (laughs) Jug addresses himself as her stepfather, and he says, you may want to walk away while I finish the rest of the story. Uh, This old punk-ass bitch. And he takes him up on it, and he walks away. So he finished telling the rest of the story to the men. <sighs> Sorry. It, well, he's such a piece of shit. If you're looking for an objective <laughs> take on the story, <laughs> we're not here to deliver the facts like we're some news anchors. I'll tell you that right now. No, I'm going to spitfire my opinion throughout this whole damn thing. Yeah. I, that just is so gross. I want to. Uh, no, you can oh, finish yeah. your story, but my hand's going to be around your fucking neck when I do when you do it. Right. Your mouth will be on the curb. If you, should you step out of line? Yeah. So he finishes telling the rest of the story of what he did. He says he started fooling around with Natalie, described her underwear, which were navy with flowers, described her vagina, how it looked, how it felt, and told in great, great detail what he did when he put his hands down there, including oh, what no. specific fingers he used. Uh-uh. I just like... He first of all, you just can't help yourself, Katie. These aren't your bros. This isn't the locker room. No one's interested in this. These are of shit. Fathers of Natalie's friends who are down here looking for, and you can see this punk ass kid can't help but to brag about getting some quote getting some. Yeah, it's the weirdest thing that he would go into this much detail. Expecting what? What are you? Are you looking for like a high five? You're not getting it. What's the goal here? Gross. And how Paulus is standing there and then cut him off being like, dude, irrelevant. Skip this part is beyond me. Right. Because he's also a piece of shit. Yeah. Sadly, Beth knew the underwear he's referring to. So he probably wasn't lying. Gross. Then Yaron said he decided that she was too drunk to go any further. And instead of going to the lighthouse, they decided to drop her off that holiday. And she gets out falls, bumps her head on the curb, and two security guards help her inside. And now Paula steps in, telling Euron not to say another word. Matt and Ruffner immediately call bullshit and straight up tell him they doubt that he would act all of a sudden act so noble given the details they just heard about. And Ruffner even tells him, I have a real problem with you, son. A real long southern draw. You you get it. Yeah. But Paula flips and yells at them to get out. When they go back to the car and relay that he said that he dropped her off at the hotel, Natalie's friends are still on speakerphone and they say, no, he did not. A ton of them were in the lobby hanging out. She never walked in. So Beth shoots her shot and asks Paulus and Yaron if she can go inside the house. Of course, Paulus being an almost judge, he knows he does not have to let her do that. And so he refuses. They call it a night so the group can get a couple of hours of sleep. 
Beth and Jug are staying in Natalie in the room that Natalie stayed in, but Beth stays up all night in the lobby. Day two, she watches the sunrise, and it's the first time she's seeing Aruba during the day, and she sees the bright blue-green ocean and immediately gets dizzy. It's too big and too and so infinite that she can't even look at it. Like the idea of Natalie being in there is too much for her to handle. She was planning to meet Detective Dennis Jacobs in the lobby at 7 a.m. to take her statement, and when he gets there, she, he does not obviously seem too concerned that most, you'll learn most police do not feel that this is a concerning matter. And it's kind of a weird encounter. Like he asks for Natalie's passport and debit card and Beth gives Natalie's passport, but says she didn't bring a debit card. And for some reason he doesn't believe her. Like weird shit like that. Like, what do you want me to do? She's, she offers, I can tell you exactly where it is at home. And yeah. he asks her, to meet him at the police station in one hour and they can do the statement there. She gets Jug and Jody. Yeah. Wait, they had her passport? Which Yeah. Was that all how how? Her her bag was in her room. She oh, was packed right. and ready to go the next day. Right. Mm-hmm. She gets Jug and Jody, and they're at the police station by 8 a.m. on the dot. And they see Deepak's car. She knows it's his because she memorized the license plate the night before. She walks in expecting to see Euron and Deepak also giving a statement, but they're nowhere in sight. She tells the cop behind the counter that she's there to make a formal statement, and he interrupts her and says, I'll have to eat my Frosted Flakes and get a shave in before I can deal with you, and gets up and leaves the room. Uh, I I, mean, it's just, I'm sweating with anger. The quickness, I would throw a punch. It's beyond, I know. And what's worse than that, they waited for three hours after that. Just wasting precious and very crucial hours. That's the biggest shame of this. They were on it. Mm -hmm. They were there within hours of Natalie missing her flight. And it's like they they could have stayed at home and slept for a week. Wouldn't have made a difference. No, it wouldn't have. I would. I think I would take up smoking right there. I would just rip cig after cig. Oh, yeah. Can you imagine? Finally, Detective Jacobs comes out after three hours, but only to tell them that he won't be needing their statements today and they can leave. Beth says she went numb. Oh, God. How alone and isolating that must be. You're on an island you've never been to looking for your missing daughter and no one will help you. I just, oh, God, it's infuriating. Yeah. And they just wasted three valuable hours. I never saw Euron and Deepak, but the car was still there when she left. God knows where they are. But if this was a tactic to get her to give up and go back to the States without Natalie, it failed. However, this is when she realizes how much influence Paulus Vandersloot must have over cops and getting any help at all will be a challenge. She walks out of the police station and Alberto has a camera crew from the local Aruban news station and tells Beth she needs to get on TV to get the word out. Alberto? Alberto, I mean. The handler? Yeah. Yeah, good for you. I mean, such a good hire. Yeah. Go, Ruffner. Beth is a speech pathologist and a preschool teacher of children with special needs. She has zero TV training. On top of no sleep and the crap she just put up, put up with in the police station, probably not feeling her best, but somehow she manages to pull it together and refocus, and she tells the local news how uncharacteristic this is of Natalie, what she was last wearing, what she looks like. So she's back in the zone. Thanks, Alberto. Yeah, good job. He also sets up more media, and this is essentially how they spend day number two, going on air, pleading for Natalie's safe return. 
And let me be clear, while the cops so far aren't being very helpful at all, the news stations, radio stations, newspapers in Aruba were very supportive and helpful. They want to run the story. Mm-hmm. Beth, at first, debates whether or not she should try to get media attention in the States because she doesn't want to hinder an investigation. But at the same time, tourism from U.S. is huge in Aruba, and there's a chance that someone from the U.S. was here when Natalie was and may have seen her. Plus, at this point, there's no investigation to hinder. Cops are right. doing shit. Mm-hmm. So she calls the one person in Birmingham that she knows in TV who warns her, once you open this gate, you can't close it, so be prepared. And Beth, after she like goes back and forth with it, she can't decide. And then she says, screw it, let's do it. And agrees to run a segment that night on Birmingham's local Fox News. And I remember, do you remember when this was on local news? And then it was in the a little blurb was in the local newspaper the next day. And we cut it out and saved it. Oh. Yeah, no, I don't like always that. remember that Natalie missing her flight made the news. Yeah, I like, mean, it does. I, yeah, I guess. I don't know. Do we still have that? Mad, doubt it. Like having no um, idea it would become what it became. Jesus. Yeah, yeah, for real. I do remember being on local news being like, holy shit. Mm-hmm. While Beth's running around Aruba to different media sites, her son Matt calls her from Birmingham and says, Mom, I called CNN and the whole world's about to know. Oh, Matt. Matt, you're 17, no, 16 at this point. You're the best. He's the best. Mm -hmm. Good for him. During Beth's media tour around Aruba, Matt and Ruffner started their search at the lighthouse. Their cab driver asked if they were looking for the American girl. And if so, they need to go to Chawler Houses. That I did not look like how to pronounce it. So if it's wrong, it's Chawler. C-H-O-L-L-E-R. Chawler apparently is the name of drug addicts on Aruba. And she tells them that missing girls are usually found at these houses. She even offers to take them one near Carlos and Charlie's. Once they get there, she calls a guy who comes out. And for $5, he takes a picture of that Matt and Ruffner have of Natalie inside to look for her. Then Trina, the cab driver, calls a guy they refer to as Big Man. He's apparently a former drug kingpin and a born-again Christian who wants to help because he apparently saw a blonde girl at one of these houses the day before. So Big Man and Trina are wonderful. Yeah. Big Man, Matt, and Ruffner meet at a crack house to get a plan in order, and Big Man tells them that they usually take vulnerable or drunk tourists to these chawler houses, pump them with drugs, rob them, take their debit card, and once the account is drained, they drop them off at a beach somewhere. Oh, God, that's horrifying. Also, Ruffner at a crack house. I know. Talk about, talk about out of your element. <laughs> to put away the Rolex, Ruffner. You're going oh my on. god leave it at the hotel put it under your tongue if you have to <laughs> get rid of that shit don't don't have it on you what let, let matt do all the talking mm-hmm. he also tells them they can't go during the day because if they see big man coming they'll hide any hostages so they plan to go at night so confident that this is where natalie is the group makes arrangements for a medical evacuation plane to come to aruba and take natalie when they find her So this plane's just sitting idle on the runway. God. That night, Big Man, Matt, and Ruffner meet up, and Matt goes in into one of the houses with Big Man while Ruffner is outside. They can only let one in at a time. Matt later says people of all ages were slung up against the walls, men, women, children, young, old, and they're all walking around like zombies. They yell at the men to get out, but because Big Man's an OG, 
he knows what to say and he says something and Pappy and Minto and they're allowed to stay. That is very, well, and Bray, I would be of Matt. I know. To do that again, it's not her brother, but it, that I just can't imagine. That's so scary and dangerous. I'm sure so dangerous. Good for them. I know. He walks them around passageways in the wall behind fake partitions where people hide if the cops raid it, and says that he saw a lot of things he will not tell anyone about. I was actually talking to Ruffner's daughter about it recently, and she said what he saw still affects him, and I don't think she even knows exactly what he saw. Oh, God. When they don't see Natalie in the Chawler houses, Big Man takes them to brothels. <sighs> there are men outside yelling, check out our whores, and young girls who are carrying cards certifying that they are VD-free for 90 days. Oh, Sad. my God. See, it would be so hard while on the mission to find Natalie to not be like, please come with me. Right. Let me help you. My man. Let's get it, out of here. Right. We, we can fire up the J. Oh, my God. But Natalie isn't in there either. Night comes again, and again, tips come in at all hours where they rush to empty leads. And when daylight comes, they'll do it over and over again. Attempt to give a statement to the police, talk to locals, hang posters, replace the ones that have been torn down, et cetera, et cetera. So the next morning, Jug, Jody, and Beth, like clockwork, go back down to the police station and wait a couple of hours before even being acknowledged but finally, Detective Jacobs comes back and is only willing to hear Beth's statement. And when she goes back there, she sees a piece of paper with Euron's name on it, and it appears to be his official statement, and it's ripped up. Oh, my God. Wow, would the detective rip up the statement of the last person seen with her? Or did Euron redact it? Did Paulus come by and ask him to do it? Why the hell is it in plain sight on your desk? Oh, whatever. There's a lot of whys in this story. I'll tell you that right now. She doesn't address this and continues to give her statement to the detective who writes it in Dutch. And then a third detective reads it back to her in English to confirm that her words. She agrees that they are, signs it, done, finally. Then Detective Jacobs reassures Beth that the crack addicts will likely bring her back to Carlos and Charlie's when she runs out of money. Beth That's is, why I asked about the debit card. Yeah. Yeah. Beth is pissed. Again, tells him she has no fucking money. She's already told him her debit card was left at home and even calls Natalie's bank in Birmingham just to confirm there's been no activity and there's not. There hasn't been. She says if someone's holding her hostage, it's not for her money. And that's what's concerning her, obviously insinuating that she's being held, being raped. Yeah. And he reassures, reassures her. No, no, no. It's not going to be for sex either. We have whores for that. That Jesus. is reassuring. Thank you. Such a weird fucking thing to say. I just can't. But aside from all this, Deepak and Yaron have said that they dropped her off at the Holiday Inn. So why would a crack addict get her and why would they drop her back off at Carlos and Charlie's if they took her from the Holiday Inn? He's contradicting what Yaron and Deepak said, or he knows something that she doesn't. Like, they never fucking dropped her off at the hotel. Right. She goes back to the hotel and asks to see the footage from Sunday, May 29th to the early hours of Monday so she can see if Euron dropped her off. But the front desk says the footage isn't available right now, but they'll, they'll work on pulling it. Sadly, the group that flew down there with Beth has to go back to Birmingham. It's been three days and they have to get back to work and their families. Beth and Jug are obviously not going anywhere. And in fact, more people are coming to help. Jug's brother, Jar, y'all were from the South. It's just, we have, 
weird names, names you've never heard of. Yeah. So Jug's brother, Jar, Natalie's father, Dave, and his brother, Phil, and then their friends, Charlie, Jeff, and Mitch. <laughs> May I just say, Mitch is one of our best friends, fathers. You do not want to mess with him. I mean, no nonsense. Oh, God. Put For him, Yaron, and Nancy Grace in a room and the truth will come out. Oh, my God. <laughs> Yaron will lose truth, a few fingers. I was about to say, the truth will, get, will come out and someone will die. Right. But what, Mitch will get what he needs. Yeah. <sighs> and what the new group brings new hope. They're enthusiastic. They're well rested. They're ready to tackle this island. They're locked and loaded. <laughs> We're talking about Mitch. <laughs> There's definitely they, a pistol in the boot. There is 100% a pistol in the boot. They take the cell phone that Matt and Ruffner were using and start recording tips immediately. And one keeps coming in that Natalie has been seen with two people known around the island as Wendy and Peter Pan. Wendy apparently came to Aruba on vacation many years ago and never left. She's homeless and is seen walking around at all hours of the night, just, you know, partying. And Peter Pan is her island partner. Every time the group follows one of these tips, they can't find either of them. So this leads to a dead end. Another common tip that has come into the tip line, as well as radio stations, is that Natalie has been seen in a yellow Jeep pulling a small trailer with a rubber boat or dinghy on it. And in the dinghy is a barrel. People say it belongs to a guy named Vader or a guy named Theodore. They've heard both. So Beth is in a cab going around the island and she freaking sees it. Yellow Jeep, trailer, dinghy, barrel in the parking lot of a pizza parlor. And she yells at the cab driver to take her over there and points to the Jeep, visibly shaking, and asks if he knows what, whose Jeep that is. And of course, everyone knows everyone down there. So the cab driver tells her it's Vader's and he's a bad man that sells drugs to big cartels. And he, that he's a runner, quote, runner. And that's what the dinghy is for. Runner, meaning that he shuttles the drugs back and forth from the big drug, quote, drug boats back to right. the island and vice versa. I don't mean like he runs away. Right. So Vader comes out of the pizza parlor. And before Beth can say anything, he gives his condolences. I'm sorry about Natalie. This is only oh. day three or four. So Beth's face isn't recognizable yet. So she's taken aback. But mm -hmm. she thanks him and asks if he knows where she is, explaining that several tips have come in that says she's been with you. And he responds with, what about that gray Honda? I thought they were looking into that. And before she can respond to that, he says, the Coast Guard has already searched my boat and car and found nothing. This is the first she's hearing of that. So she asks him to come back to the police station to talk to the detective with her. And before he can say anything, the cab driver jumps in, gets very angry, and demands that Vader needs to do the right thing and come to the police station. Oh, Cabby. my God. The cab drivers are phenomenal. No phenomenal. nonsense, this guy. Listen, good for him. I know. And see, so this is what I mean. To reiterate, the locals in Aruba seem lovely. Yeah. Whether it's because they genuinely care about finding Natalie or they don't want the American tourism to stop. Probably the latter, but whatever. They're supportive. Yeah. They're nice. They're helping. They're helping. I'm sure it's a breath of fresh air to Beth. Yeah. Shockingly, Vader agrees and follows them to the police station. When they walk in, Beth is like, Detective Jenkins, get your ass out of here. I have someone to meet. You need to talk to. I'm just kidding. She probably was more subtle than that, but that's definitely what she was thinking in her head, I'm sure. Yeah. He does come out 
and they explain what just happened. And the detective says that they're looking for a guy named Theodore, not Vader. And he dismisses it. Is Vader that whole time being like, I had nothing to do with it? Like, what was he going to do at the police station? I'm confused, kind of. Just reiterate that. Well, he, he said that the Coast Guard already checked his boat. So he wants him to say, like, is that true? Did you already check him? Oh, uh, OK. And just be all there in case he says no. And they're like, all right. Yeah, here he is. Yeah, here he is. They turn to leave the police station and Beth is dumbfounded. She knows this has to be the Jeep everyone's talking about, but is wondering, like, maybe if maybe Theodore is Vader's brother. So Vader gets in his car and before pulling off, Beth runs up to the window, grabbing his arm and notices in the passenger seat, there's a local newspaper with Natalie's picture on it. But she disregards that for now and yells at him to say his name. And he just looks at her like a, with a look that says, seems like you already know. But she doesn't, but he doesn't say anything. She yells at him three more times to tell, tell her his name and his silence says it all. This is Theodore. Mm -hmm. So she pulls him out of the car and tells him to come back inside with her. And like a schoolboy in trouble, he yells that she's hurting him. Oh, you little <laughs> bitch. Yeah. Quit disobeying and I'll show you who, what hurt is. Right. Little 100 pound Beth drags him by the arm back into badass. the police station because hell hath no fury like a mother scorn. Oh my and God. scolds him in front of Detective Jacobs saying, tell him your name. And Vader looks at Jacobs and says, Theodore. God. Beth seems to be prepared. The detective's going to find some way to dismiss it again. So she yells at him, begs him to please do something. Detective Jacob says he'll talk to him and Beth leaves Theodore in his custody because she doesn't have time to micromanage everybody to do their fucking jobs on this island. Yeah. Sure enough, nothing ever came from this. And we later find out that Theodore is related to the Vandersloots. Oh, I don't, I don't know that. This is what they have to deal with constantly. Chasing dead-end leads all day and night. And she was confident that Vader slash Theodore was somehow involved, but we'll never know at this point. Yeah. Meanwhile, Mitch and the new crew go straight to Euron's school. They want to talk to him without the presence of his daddy, but the headmaster won't let him because he's a minor. God. Anita, Euron's mom, is a teacher at the school, so they're like, fine, we'll talk to her. But he declines. He she did, declines. However, no, the headmaster declines to let them uh, Okay, call. sorry. Yeah. He did, however, tell him that he spoke to Euron and Paulus yesterday about how Euron dropped her off the hotel and offers up that Paulus said the security cameras at the hotel weren't working that day, which takes them by surprise because Beth already requested this footage and the hotel didn't say that. All they said was, we'll work on it. Yeah. Plus, why has Paulus already tried to pull the tapes and how has he confirmed that they're not working? It's just weird. Right. The headmaster offers up his own theory that maybe Natalie drowned, which is kind of, it's kind of alarming how comfortable everyone is giving their theories about how she died when they don't yeah. know that yet. Like, I can't imagine a group of people looking for a loved one coming up to me, asking about whereabouts and me just proposing how they, she probably died. Right. How unhelpful. The men are like, okay, thanks. Bye. Yeah. And they post missing Natalie posters all over that school, except they cross out missing and write in, ask Euron about her. Mm -hmm. Across the top. It is shocking that some other student at the school didn't come forward or several being like, oh, yeah, he's been bragging about this. Oh, yeah. Like what he did to her. Like it just seemed like based on his personality and what we now know about him, 
it just seems like something he would have bragged about to someone and maybe they're just uh, uber loyal but he's I was just about to say they he probably did Ugh. we come to find out like 18 years later he flapped his gums to a ton of people yeah via hidden camera well i'll i'll get to that i know trust they regroup at dinner and detective jacobs walks in to ask beth to re-sign her statement because they misdated the original it's in dutch but in an effort to show that she wants to work with them and is accommodating she signs it he then takes the opportunity to reprimand them about going into chawler houses specifically saying don't disturb our drug houses or our whore houses explaining that the houses with the flag on top of the roof are government flags signifying that they can live there for free and do whatever they want as long as they don't bother tourists. I remember that. They're getting leads that Natalie's in one of these, in which case they are bothering tourists. And right. police may have agreed to not bother them, but Beth sure as hell didn't. Yeah. And if she's getting told that her daughter is being held captive in one, she's going in. Mitch is going in. Oh, Mitch is going in. And sure enough, Wednesday rolls into Thursday, and they get another lead that Natalie is seen in a Chawler house that they haven't checked yet. A local reporter is the one who called in the tub and said that a local man named OJ, oddly enough, saw her. She would meet Beth, she said she would meet Beth at a restaurant to strategize and, and advise her to bring cash to buy Natalie back. Can you imagine the oh my God. hearing that you potentially need to buy your child back? She puts a few thousand dollars in each of her jean pockets and the plan was to let the men go in there first. And this is at 2 a.m. And Beth is in this restaurant with the reporter when Jug and Jar walk in and tell and say, that, like, this seems like a really good lead. So they called J uh, Detective Jacobs to give him the oppor opportunity to go in first. I guess this is something he requested at dinner, at that dinner. So they do. And Detective Jacobs comes without backup or even a police car. But he does bring his wife. The weirdest. What? So weird. All the men from home, including Natalie's dad, bust in the front door while the handlers and Detective Jacobs go in the back. After a few minutes, they come out, which also is weird that they just, like, let civilians. Like, SWAT team it. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, on this. It's, uh, it's uh, like, so shocking to hear different. I know. Police practices in different countries. Like, it is just, can you imagine? No the head of police in anywhere in the u.s being like okay handlers y'all go y'all come with me we're gonna kick in the back door like absolutely right. not wife you, you know, come too right you know how to what? work a gun here it's like the yeah. halloween five when the when, four halloween four when the cop hands a 16 year old the gun and says get upstairs <laughs> yeah I'm like wow after a few minutes they come out without natalie and it's then that Beth notices several cameramen in the bushes and behind walls. Turns out this OJ person never saw Natalie. The reporter called it in and hopes that she would be there to get the first shot of Natalie being rescued. It was all a big uh, setup. Oh, God. Beth calls them all fuckers and leaves. Literally fuckers. She says cussing is her only outlet. Yeah. I gotta say, as a cusser, I cannot tell you how good it feels. Sometimes it feels at a boiling really point and you just yell fuck. Mm. at the top of your lungs oh it's a release and it feels wonderful mm -hmm. that is unfortunately the first of many yeah, but yeah. i mean you feel so close and right. then right nothing yep that is such a bummer they get back to the hotel room and at 4 a.m they get a knock on the door 
It's a hotel employee telling Beth and Jug that they have the lobby footage from May 30th. So it was working, Paulus. They rush down to the security room where there are dozens of cops sitting there already, probably giving Beth a little bit of hope that at 4 a.m. all these cops came to see it. Mm -hmm. As they're gearing up, another employee hands Beth the key activities, the key activity records from May 30th. And as expected, three of the four keys were used that night, confirming that Natalie never made it back to her room. Mm -hmm. They play the footage and see Natalie's friends come into the lobby, but Natalie never does. They can also see where cars pull up, and to no one's surprise, Yaron and Deepak never dropped her off. She never bumps her head. All a lie. Also, this is confirmation that Paulus must have known this, and that's why he's telling people the cameras weren't working, maybe hoping no one would look into it. He's a He's an honorable judge, after all. If he says they're not working, they're not working, right? Right. Or in my more optimistic, hopeful brain, um, he did go to the hotel to hopefully get the footage and then probably destroy it. And maybe a a good Samaritan staff employee was like, no way. I know what you're up to. And was like, we don't have any cameras. They weren't working that night. Oh, that is such a hopeful thought. That's so optimistic. Yeah. I hope that's true. Yeah, maybe. It's completely silent in the room for first the first several minutes until cops start whispering in Dutch or Papiamento to each other. She doesn't know Are what the this... handlers there. Sorry to um, translate. I would be like, um, no. and they're saying right now. Yeah, oh, no, no, they're not. She doesn't know what they're saying. But in the book, she says, now they all know you're on Deepak and Satish never dropped her off. Now they know they lied. We all know they lied. But what they don't know is that I am willing to wait out every single lie to find the truth. 